In this episode of Travel Legends and Icons, the Queen Elizabeth, the ship known as the Great Grey Ghost. This is the Legends and Icons of Travel, an audiobook podcast by Gary Bembridge. The stories behind the most famous legends and icons of travel across the years, from the book of the same name being written by Gary Bembridge. Queen Elizabeth started and ended her 32-year life in a most dramatic manner. Her birth was shrouded in deception and adventure, and her death mired in an unsolved mystery. A cruise ship's first about to open sea to undergo sea trials is usually a significant event. Sea trials determine if the ship will perform as per the specifications set out in the contract, and throw up any changes or problems like undue vibration at speed, that needs to be addressed. It's usually a short and intense trip, conducted within reasonable distance of the port the ship is being built in. It is also an event used by the shipping line owners and shipbuilders to generate the maximum fanfare and publicity, the images and resultant publicity of a brand new ship nudging out to sea for the first time are a key part of any ship's marketing. It announces to the world that the ship is on her way, It helps to build up demand for the soon-to-be-launched commercial liner. The significance of this event usually stirs great passion amongst the builders' workforce, their families, and from fans of the particular shipping line, all of which turn up in droves to cheer her out to sea. But this was not the case with the Queen Elizabeth. For the half-fitted-out Queen Elizabeth nudged out of Clydebank, Glasgow, where she was being built on the 2nd of March, unannounced to the world at large. Even the men still working on finishing fitting her out had no idea what was really planned. They thought she was heading down to Southampton, a few hundred miles away, to finish the fitting, and then they would be back on a train back to Scotland. Instead, the Queen Elizabeth's first trip to sea was a furious and fast dash right across the mighty and ferocious Atlantic Ocean to New York, some 3,400 miles away, startling the men on board the British public, and surprisingly, the German war machine. For the year was 1940, and Britain was at war with Germany. The British military were fearful that the Germans would bomb the ship at either her current position in the John Brown & Co. shipyards where she was being built, or in Southampton docks. Having chartered the Queen Elizabeth from owners Cunard to support the war effort, they ordered her to be sailed to New York to join her sister ship, the Queen Mary. So secret was the mission that the captain only knew of the plan when he opened his orders as the ship steamed down the Clyde towards the sea. The Queen Elizabeth made a sombre picture pulling into New York five days later. The hull had been painted in a wartime grey colour while still in Clydebank, and as she glided her way up the Hudson, a journalist famously called her the Great Grey Ghost. This was a nickname that stuck with the ship for the rest of the war. The Queen Mary was already docked and waiting for her in New York on Pier 90, having arrived there one day after war was declared on the 4th of September 1939. A space had been cleared ready for the daring ship by moving another Cunard ship, the Mauritania, from alongside the Queen Mary to Pier 86. Also alongside the dock was a German luxury liner, the Normandie, that had been impounded by the US authorities on the outbreak of war. 
The first the public knew about the remarkable journey was after the Queen Elizabeth was safely close to New York and the press embargo was lifted. The New York Times ran dramatic headlines like Britain rejoices in liner's escape, ship defies U-boats, and charmed passage, telling in excited tones about how the world's largest liner had just performed the utmost feat of daring. After seven months languishing impatiently at the birth in New York, the Queen Elizabeth then headed to Singapore, to the Cockatoo Island shipyards, and was refitted as a troop carrier. Over the course of the war, she carried over 750,000 troops, and only managed to avoid attack or any serious incident, despite plying back and forward across the German submarine-patrolled Atlantic 62 times, because of her power and speed. Both the Queen Elizabeth and her sister Cunard ship the Queen Mary could charge across the Atlantic at 29 knots, faster than any submarine could come close to. The crew of the Queen Elizabeth literally lied on keeping their wits about them and shunting through the seas as fast as they could. The story is even more remarkable when considering that the Queen Elizabeth was commanded and run throughout the war by crew from Cunard and not the Navy. The ships were not co- commandeered by the British government for the war effort, but were chartered. The 83,673-tonne Queen Elizabeth would carry around 15,000 troops on a trip versus around the 2,280 passengers she was designed to carry in peacetime. She delivered troops to most of war fronts, starting initially in the Suez in the Far East, then where the United States entered the war in 1942, to Europe to support the D-Day offensive. So important was this role that both the Queen Elizabeth and Queen Mary were playing that Adolf Hitler himself promised a generous bounty to any German U-boat commander that could sink either of the ships. Winston Churchill attributed the success of the Allies in the Second World War, and particularly the D-Day events that changed the course of the war, in no small part to the contribution the two Cunard sisters made in shuttling troops to the battleground. The D-Day push across the Channel and into occupied France could never have taken place without having many thousands of troops. The entry of the United States into the war meant that troops were available, but they had to be moved across to Britain, and in great numbers, and quickly. Once the war ended, the now world-famous Queen Elizabeth was lovingly fitted out for the passenger Atlantic crossing service she had been designed for. As she had never entered service as a passenger ship and had only been half-fitted out at the time she was chartered into the war effort, many of the never-used and luxurious fittings and furniture had been safely stored. When she entered service on the 16th of October 1946 after the fitting out at Gorich on the Clyde, she made a stunning and glamorous debut at a time of post-war austerity, her plush interior designs often causing her to be described as a grand English country house at sea. After the war, the transatlantic market boomed. The war had created many personal links between the United States and the UK, and it was the only way to get to and from the United States. But by 1960s, all that had changed. In the 1950s, the Queen Elizabeth and Queen Mary made weekly crossings, often crossing mid-Atlantic, and they were often booked out well in advance, the style and grace of the two ships capturing the imagination of the increasingly adventurous and travel-hungry populations on both sides of the Atlantic. But after 1958, with the advent of a regular and reliable jet engine plane service, the days of crossing the Atlantic by sea were doomed. Pan Am started flying using the new Boeing 707 in October 1958. Within a few years, the number of people crossing by plane overtook and then decimated transatlantic ship traffic. 
In the 1960s, it was not unusual to have fewer passengers than crew on the ship. Cunard, desperate to get the Queen Elizabeth to make money, commissioned a major refit in 1963, adding in features like an open-air pool and some limited air conditioning, items that had not been needed on the cold Atlantic, where people spent most time entertaining themselves, and usually indoors. They tried to use it as a cruise ship in areas like the Caribbean, but the ship was not suited for it. People found the ship too hot. There were not enough outdoor areas, and the draft of the ship, designed to slice through the rough Atlantic seas, was too deep to allow the ship to enter many of the ports. So finally, in 1968, Cunard sold the ship for £3.25 million to a group of businessmen who had the idea of making the Queen Elizabeth into a stylish floating hotel in the Port Everglades in Florida. This exercise failed in less than a year after the ship was closed, as a fire hazard by the local authorities, and after constantly losing money since opening. The ship was sold again in 1970 to a powerful Hong Kong shipping tycoon, C.Y. Yong. His vision was to turn the ship into a floating international university that would travel the world, a career that many fans and commentators believe was more fitting and worthy for this famous ship. The university was to be called and shipped to be renamed Seawise University, which was also a play on the tycoon's name. But while being fitted out in Hong Kong Harbour for her new and exciting career, the Queen Elizabeth met her final fate. Just as the end of the refit was in sight, with only a few key things like the fire suppression system still to be completed, a series of fires broke out on the ship on the 9th of January 1972. The fire seemed to have broken out in a number of different places, suggesting arson. These fires raged through the ship all night, and by the next day the Queen Elizabeth seemed to give up and rolled onto her side in the harbour. The great Grey Ghost had kept on crashing defiantly and effortlessly through the oceans of the world all through the war, defying the whole German navy intent on destroying her. However, in spite of her power and speed, she finally succumbed to the humiliation of being ravaged by fire while sitting docile in a harbour. Even in death, though, she had retained some of her defiance. The Queen Elizabeth lay for almost three years in the Hong Kong harbour as a constant reminder to everyone who saw her about her life and her history in spite of being a hazard to shipping. And it wasn't until she had her last taste of international fame in a starring role that she finally chose the time to give up completely. In 1974, her submerged bulk, featured as the fictional base of the British Secret Service in the James Bond film The Man with the Golden Gun, a role that brought her again attention to millions of moviegoers worldwide, reminding them of what the Queen Elizabeth had been. So instead of being remembered as just a fire-wrecked and rotting submerged bulk of steel, the last role she was renowned for is as mysterious and exciting James Bond prop. And so that done, on the 5th of November 1975, the Queen Elizabeth finally died. She rolled over and spewed out tons of oil that polluted the water nearby beaches. It was only then that the ship was cut up and removed. Some of her apparently forms part of the landfall that was created for the building of the dramatic new Hong Kong airport. The real mystery of what happened that fatal day in 1972, and who was to blame, remaining a cause of speculation and source of constant rumours and debate to this day. But even despite these rumours and mystery, this immense ship remains an icon to those who lived through or know the history of the Second World War. From the moment of the early drama in 1940, when she slipped out to sea untested with a civilian crew and wrapped in a grey war coat to defy the German U-boats and Navy, she became a symbol of defiance. The Queen Elizabeth may have fondly been called the Great Grey Ghost, but to many she will always be seen as an emotive icon. The Queen Elizabeth was not just another transatlantic liner. She was a symbol and a source of inspiration for a frightened nation at a time of darkness. 
You've been listening to the Legends and Icons of Travel, the stories behind the most famous legends and icons of travel across the years, from the book of the same name, being written by Gary Bembridge. If you have any comments, please email me at gary at bembridge.co.uk. To subscribe to the podcast, search on iTunes or Yahoo for Legends and Icons of Travel.